Thank you very much. So um, thank you. I will um, go to the podium just to make it easier. Um, so my aim today is to um, talk to you about not only uh, journalism, but how a broader trend um, that we follow um, in, in international security affects journalism. Uh, and this trend is uh, criminal violence in urban areas. Uh, I am uh, first and foremost a researcher working on international security, uh, specifically the issue of disputed peripheries or disputed territories um, and other urban areas where non-state armed groups um, challenge government authority. And I am also, as some of my colleagues point out, uh, a recovering journalist. Uh, I used to work in Brazil as a writer and editor at uh, Glo uh, Global News TV, a news channel. Uh, but I, ironically, I only started um, focusing and writing on organized crime uh, after I left Brazil. I occasionally write journalistic pieces, uh, but always with the aim of taking a, uh, a more in-depth look at the transnational trends uh, and global connections of the actors involved. So I'm saying this just so you, you know where I'm, co I'm coming from. Um, and as I said, my intention is to show um, how a broader trend in international security um, um, is affecting journalism, not, not only on the physical security of journalists, which is a very pressing issue, but on how new ethical and um, uh, coverage dilemmas are, are appearing and being dealt with. And it's, it's a critical trend. Organized crime, uh, and more specifically, urban criminal violence consistently ranks as a top uh, public concern for populations across Latin America. So this ranking is from the latest Latino Barom Barometro uh, across Latin America, um, and it shows the average um, of uh, top concerns of populations. Number one, jobs and inflation. Number two, crime and public security. Number three, um, the management of the national economy. And number four, corruption, which is also a form of organized crime, even though um, it is often thought about as, as, a, as a political issue, which it is as well. Um, in my former city of Rio de Janeiro, which is the focus of a great deal of my research so far, and is the case study that I'm going to display for you today, um, the battles between a militarized police force, literally called the military police, which is the main go-to police uh, uh, agency in Rio de Janeiro, uh, state um, has formed the bread and butter of the um, news industry in Brazil and in Rio specifically for many decades. But it has gotten worse in recent years for reasons we will explore later. What I want to highlight here today is the profound impact this has on journalism and uh, coverage reporting. This goes beyond journalist security, although this is also a critical issue as, as I mentioned. Organized crime in Latin America, more than in any other region, has evolved or devolved into a level of violence not seen in any other region of the world. Organized crime is a global and globalized phenomenon, but the intense competition and the characteristics of urbanization in Latin America have gradually shifted the security environment into a territorial struggle for control over impoverished and poorly planned peripheries. So I want to contrast that with the 
uh, more classic assumptions about organized crime as a mafia operating in the shadows, which also exists, um, including Latin America. But um, the work that we've done in Latin America and that is increasingly being studied is this territorial dimension of criminal organizations controlling territory and defending territory even inside large and vibrant cities such as Rio, uh, Medellin, Sao Paulo, and many others. And this competition takes place between police forces and gangs, but also, and I would argue even more frequently now, between gangs themselves. Um, and uh, I will go back to this slide later to explain a little bit about this um, logo that you see uh, that is uh, the official logo of one of the, an elite force of the military police in Rio. And as a result of this um, militarization and territorialization of, of, of crime and, and, and criminal violence, uh, journalists find themselves covering quite a unique security challenge in a historic context, a territorial conflict that does not reach the level of war, but that imposes on journalists some of the same limitations and dilemmas observed in war zones. To illustrate this challenge, uh, this challenging security environment, uh, uh, this, uh, I'm showing you this um, um, screenshot from uh, a popular Brazilian newspaper called Estra. Um, it has decided, it's a very popular newspaper, one of the best-selling in Rio de Janeiro, and it has decided rather controversially and dramatically to turn part of its crime section into what is being called literally war section. Uh, it covers, according to the newspaper, quote, all which escapes the norms of civilizational normality, unquote. Um, and it is restricted to events in Rio, so it is specifically about this territorial dimension of, of, of crime and violence in Rio. Um, and this is a screenshot from the article that, in which they announced this, and uh, the, their argument for this is that this is not normal, so this is what the headline say, says. Um, and, and the section is literally called Guerra do Rio. So many, not, not all of the crime coverage is within the section, but uh, some of the most high-profile violent events are covered within the war section. And this has caused tremendous and very interesting debate and controversy in Brazil. Um, and, and regardless of your opinion and my opinion about, about this, it's, it's, it's a very interesting development. So um, I will focus now on the implications of what I call hyperviolent crime and the territorial struggles plaguing Latin American cities and go a bit further into how they affect journalistic coverage. I will start um, um, typical perhaps journalistic flair with a story, but unfortunately uh, today is Valentine's Day, but this is not a very uh, happy or uh, romantic story. It concerns a reporter for my, co uh, my former employer, Global TV, uh, who became a victim of the territorial dem demarcation violence that came to characterize organized crime in Rio. Chin Lopez was a veteran reporter with extensive experience in covering crime, often undercover in some of Rio de Janeiro's dodgiest slums. In 2001, he had won the ESSO Award, Brazil's most prestigious journalism award, for revealing an illicit drugs market taking place openly in a slum. In 2002, he was contacted by dwellers of the Vila Cruzeiro slum, 
uh, one of many hillside slums in Rio, asking him to expose the practice of gang leaders uh, to force young girls to go to the so-called funk parties, a popular type of dance party with highly sexualized lyrics and outfits, in which they were, uh, the, the, these girls were allegedly being um, exploited. Um, and he was investigating these reports of uh, exploitation and abuse of young girls and drug trafficking. <clears throat> so Tim Lopez went undercover directly uh, to the party uh, itself, himself went to the party in the slum, uh, deep within the territory of a gang called the Red Command, um, Comando Vermelho, one of Brazil's most violent gangs. There, uh, he was identified and brought to the gang leader, Elias Maluco, or Crazy Elias, uh, who organized a mock tribunal uh, to judge him and find him guilty. He was tortured and then assassinated by Elias Maluco himself with a ninja sword in retaliation for the previous year's report on the drug market. And the story is not only illustrative of violence against journalism, but it is also highly symbolic by design. Um, it was designed by the criminals themselves to, um, to send a message um, to, 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 this, to society and media. The parallel justice system in particular, this mock tribunal that they assembled, assembled, and the display of power with a ceremonial weapon were public displays of power by a non-state organization claiming to control vast urban areas and in many ways and in many times succeeding at that. His death raised awareness to the aspirations of power and territorial control by, by groups like the Red Command. Global TV's, uh, his, his employer at the time, uh, official history says that in the months that followed Tim Lopez's death, um, its, its main primetime news show, Jornal Nacional, aired 470 reports, totaling 17 hours and 20 minutes, on what it called parallel power wielded by criminal gangs. This parallel power, or the realization of its brutal reality, since it's not new, has brought profound questions to Brazilian journalism. Questions that echo similar dilemmas experienced in other countries of Latin America. The episode and the nationwide commotion that followed um, sparked changes in the practice of news reporting. For the first time, many newsrooms in Brazil adopted policies requiring reporters to wear bulletproof vests and use bulletproof cars when covering crime. The most consequential change for coverage, however, was the requirement that reporters only enter the slums um, alongside police forces, often on the rear guard. It was a policy that effectively banned on-the-ground investigative reporting inside the slums, the favelas, and it was a policy implement, designed and implemented by uh, newsrooms themselves. The, this policy of not entering the slums only came to be discreetly challenged in 2007, five years after Tim Lopes' death, by a São Paulo-based newspaper. A reporter from o Estado de São Paulo newspaper dared enter the Alemão complex, one of the largest and most dangerous slums in Rio, to interview local, locals about their opinions of security, criminal groups, and police operations. Even then, the reporter accompanied uh, uh, accompanied a group, a group belonging to a local NGO that had good reputation in the area. The overall policy, however, uh, remained unchallenged and reporters remained distant from the slums. 
Coverage of crime in Rio, however, has evolved despite uh, this severe limitation of not being able to cultivate sources inside the slums. Um, as a researcher on urban security, I find it interesting to see how journalistic coverage uh, has evolved to adapt to public policies against criminal groups and how it has uh, sometimes <coughs> accommodated these public policies or accepted them uncritically and sometimes challenged them. And before I talk about the evolution of the coverage and this um, fine balance between accepting and challenging public policy, let me talk briefly about uh, the evolution of public policy and more broadly government strategy towards crime in Rio. So uh, the pacification program was implemented in Rio in 2008 uh, with a view towards providing a more long-term security improvement in view of the then upcoming mega sporting events um, uh, uh, such as the uh, Olympic Games and the World Cup. The historical context in which the pacification emerged is far too long to mention here, but for now it suffices to say that Rio had faced gang violence uh, for decades. The slums, which emerged out of a traumatic process of um, liberation of slaves in the 19th century, skyrocketed in size and population during the rapid Brazilian urbanization of the 20th century. So today, Rio has 1.3 million people living in slums, which amounts to about 22% of um, its inhabitants, the total uh, urban uh, population. Shortly before the Olympics, a survey conducted by a local newspaper accounted for 15 territorial conflicts between gangs in different slums of Rio. So this territorial conflict in which one gang um, is trying to take over control of another area uh, from a rival group, including between factions, including uh, uh, disputes within a same, one, same, one single uh, organization. And it is estimated that 160,000 weapons uh, mostly, of course, small arms are in possession by gangs in Rio, including uh, not so small arms such as bazookas, kalashnikovs, and many other rifle models and grenades. The state government of Rio de Janeiro started in 2008 to implement a joint security and development strategy consisting of uh, permanent uh, presence of uh, state institutions, police presence uh, in the slums, complemented by improvements in public services and peace-building initiatives. Each slum uh, chosen to host a pacifying force, uh, uh, as they came to be known, uh, hosted a base for a pacifying police unit, or Unidade de Polícia Pacificadora, or UPP, from where, from where police officers coordinated patrols, community, community engagements, and um, monitored security situation in the area with projects involving uh, other government agencies planned for the post-stabilization phase. So it was something very similar to what you see in um, uh, post-conflict stabilization or peacekeeping, which you arrive with a military, mil military or militarized force, um, you occupy a space and then you bring in other um, um, services and infrastructure investments to try to co-opt the local population with the only difference being that this is being done uh, by the government on its own uh, population. And um, not only that, but one of its largest, uh, largest uh, uh, cities. From the start, the strategy recognized um, that the struggle was for territorial control against non-state actors. 
Uh, even though Rio and Brazil as a whole were clearly not in a situation of war, their territorial struggle would be carried out according to this thinking uh, and to the thinking of the security authorities, mainly with law enforcement tools, although the armed forces would take part in some of the operations. So then Security Secretary José Mariano Beltrami stated several times that the grip over territories is a key aim of pacification, not the elimination of drug trafficking, uh, which, has described, which he himself described as a utopia, or the elimination of crime bosses. However, <clears throat> as um, some of our colleagues here today, and especially one of our Brazilian colleagues know, this strategy didn't work. So initially, pacification uh, managed to, to, to cause a substantial uh, decrease in violence. So 75% reduction in uh, violent deaths inside the pacified slums in comparison to the uh, average before the pacifying police units arrived in those territories. So it's a substantial uh, reduction in violence. And the reduction across Rio de Janeiro um, municipality was also very, very significant. Um, and that in itself was the seed for its downfall because uh, polit pol politicians and leaders started pressuring the police and the security secretariat to expand the program, which went from took four years to establish itself in 22 slums, so from 2008 to 2012. And then in the two years uh, to 2014, uh, it gained, it almost doubled in size and went to um, 39 UPPs with still more being planned for the near term. Uh, the criminal groups uh, returned to the territorial um, uh, dynamics and, and, and ambitions and started uh, conducting targeted killings, ambushes, plus high-profile human rights uh, uh, violations. Uh, the police itself started to react to that with gunfights and uh, uh, def sometimes defending itself against, against the gangs, but there were also high-profile human rights violations on the part of the police itself. That, uh, and this security and human rights environment that was very toxic uh, resulted in increased pressure on the security forces um, um, and a plunge in popular support. So this combination of uh, reduced popular support alongside the um, economic decline of Brazil uh, since 2014 um, has resulted in less resources for, for police work and less resources for the peace and development, the social development programs that were promised as part of the stabilization phase in the slums. And the overall result, and one that uh, profoundly affected journalists, was the increase or the return uh, and escalation of militarization in the slums, because now the stakes were even higher. The state had a high-profile uh, security strategy in place that it needed to defend itself. So withdrawing from the slums was something, and still is something very uh, delicate for the authorities. They don't want to recognize this failure. Uh, so they have um, resorted once again to uh, several uh, um, waves of military deployments in the slums, including uh, from the army. And they have also um, frequently deploy the specialized police battalion that I showed the logo before, the one with the skull, two guns crossing it on a black background. So the BOPI, uh, uh, um, uh, Special Operations Battalion of the Military Police, which is 
um, an example of how kinetic and how intensive violent the, um, um, the, public, the public security debate in, in Rio has become. This recognition that we're facing this, um, this enemy that needs to be defeated. So alongside these changes and this complex situation in the territorial dynamics of public security, journalism also changed. Sorry, this is advanced. Uh, there are both positive and negative aspects to highlight. The most obvious change in journalistic coverage was, uh, after the death of Tim Lopez, the impossibility to cultivate sources inside violent slums. And on a more basic level, journalists were in practice banned for portraying the real people in the slums and their experiences with crime and police abuse, to cite just two of the most acute problems. This problem of sources led to an ethical problem. Journalists intensified the reliance on official sources. In a city with numerous homicides happening each day and vast areas inaccessible to journalists, crime news can very easily turn into an assembly line of words such as bandits, criminals, or headlines such as police and bandits clash in X area. And these are a few examples of the same uh, type of headlines. So clash between police and bandits in X area of the X zone leaves seven dead. Uh, police officers are shot during confrontation with bandits in, for, in, in, in the house of a former uh, lawmaker. And gun gunfights leaves five dead deaths in X area. Bandits were armed with, with rifles. Um, in, in relation to pacification, different media organizations were also accused of, uh, um, by some of the colleagues actually, and by uh, NGOs, of adopting the official uh, and highly positive narrative of pacification, uh, a narrative of the improved and revamped Islam, while downplaying the remaining problems that were unaddressed by the uh, security and development strategy of the pacification. And the, but there are also opportunities um, that journalism can explore and has explored to circumvent the enormous risks presented by territorial hyperviolent criminality. And um, so not always doom and gloom. Uh, one transformative trend uh, that I have observed in, in Brazilian journalism recently is the increasing use of analytical data. Uh, and by that, I mean a range of uh, macro-level uh, information brought about by technology and uh, changes in the way that official, officials and civil society uh, handle information on crime. For instance, the, increased, the increasing the number of, uh, and quality of think tanks uh, and university programs in Brazil, and I would say in other Latin American countries as well, um, um, and university programs studying the public uh, policy aspects of crime has been very, uh, very relevant in, in Latin America. Ironically, despite the uh, criticism of over-reliance on government and police sources, uh, government sources became easier and more reliable uh, in recent years in Latin America and in Brazil in special. Uh, so, for instance, um, the uh, uh, National Ombudsman Office established in 2004 the uh, transparency portal uh, in Brazil, which is something that now I know in Mexico you have as well, in El Salvador, which has tremendously improved the accessibility to 
um, hard data on things like homicides, car thefts, or the crime dynamics that help journalists tremendously. Uh, the law on access for information, which allows any citizen to request publication of all kinds of data held by any government agency was passed in Brazil in 2011. Again, this is something that I've seen in other countries as well, uh, specifically in Mexico, where um, this, is often, uh, this often results in very interesting reports on um, the dynamics of organized crime on a national level, things that were uh, previously considered the domain of national security and um, uh, kept within uh, very tight control it's now available for journalists. These instruments, both quantitative and qualitative, have allowed for more in-depth reporting. One of the most positive results of this in terms of increased societal debate on crime is the increased focus on the organized aspects of crime, uh, the linkages between armed groups, criminal trends, illicit, illicit economies, and criminal data from different areas of the country. For instance, uh, we had in Brazil a recent, uh, in, in recent years, a gang war uh, between the Red Command and the uh, uh, First Capital Command, the PCC, the, the largest criminal group in Sao Paulo. Uh, prior to this uh, war, uh, the headlines I showed here, the, one of the reasons why newspapers used the word bandit so much was that there was, um, in my opinion, a mistaken view that if you use the names of the criminal groups, you were kind of propagating and, and reinforcing their power and their, uh, and their allure uh, to, to, to the youth especially. I disagree with that because uh, the result is, is uh, decontextualized coverage um, in which uh, you, you portray the crime and the, the security relationship as being this vicious cycle of endless gunfights without any strategic purpose or any purpose other than killing a bandit. Um, so one of the, the, the positive trends of this increased accessibility to data um, has been that uh, the newspapers started uh, becoming more aware of the, uh, of the role of organized crime and the leaderships be behind them. Uh, such as the Red Command and the First Capital Command. So a few months ago we had, actually a few years ago, we had um, a war in which um, several criminal groups uh, in Rio and the northeast of Brazil and the north of Brazil challenged the control or, or the um, power of the First Capital Command, the PCC from Sao Paulo. And they, um, and they started uh, fighting with the PCC across several cities of Brazil and then some newspapers and uh, uh, media organizations, internet, TV, started naming the criminal groups sometimes for the first time, which was, um, which was very, very, very important for, uh, for the population to know what's happening and for analysts such as myself to, to do our work with the help of the media. Um, some Brazilian journalism experts have called this a shift from police coverage to public security journalism, which is uh, an interesting distinction. Um, the old um, um, idea of um, police, police journalists going to the street and um, telling the story of a crime and, and how it happened, this became more challenging in, in Rio. And in its place, um, not that it was entirely replaced, but at the same time that this type of uh, a coverage of the deep coverage of a crime and its victims, the impact on the ground, 
uh, became more challenging to do this uh, anal analytical uh, journalism looking into the pacification strategy, um, the dilemmas of how you deploy forces, how you combine that with development, the data on national crime and uh, the transnational aspects of crime, the, the relationship with think tanks and experts became more sophisticated. So um, many uh, Brazilian uh, journalism universities have uh, put forward this idea of public security journalism as being um, uh, an important trend. And this reflects the change from the sensational micro-events, the ones involving uh, clashes, police and bandits, to a greater analysis, um, a greater analytical focus, and the use of sources beyond the police to provide independent numbers and a national and transnational context. And an example of this latter type of journalism that I found particularly interesting and useful was this piece also by the Estra newspaper uh, from Rio called The Ambassadors of Narcosur, um, uh, which describes uh, the tightly coordinated um, um, coalition of criminal groups led by the Brazil's uh, first capital command, the PCC, but operates across Paraguay, Peru, Bolivia, and Brazil. So the newspaper called it Narcosur, and I think that reflects what some um, um, investigators in the justice system in Brazil and some other countries were calling this group. But it's not a, it's not a cartel, it's not a, an official criminal group, it's how the newspaper portray this tight connection between criminal groups across uh, the Southern Cone. And of course, Narcosur is a, is a, is a reference, a, a, a perhaps sarcastic reference to Mercosur, which is the trade organization in the Southern Cone of South America. So this report won the ESSO Journalism Award, the most prestigious in Brazil. And I must say that I personally have used this report on some of my own reports and cited this report um, uh, to understand organized crime in South America. Uh, and this has led to several other follow-up reports on um, the, the, the leaders of these groups that uh, travel and operate across South America. The, the, the borders are very porous. And this is an example of how the transnational aspects of organized crime have become more um, relevant in Brazilian journalism. So, um, in conclusion, um, policy experts, po policymakers, experts, and journalists, um, what I try to portray here is that they are constantly interacting and adapting to face this dilemma um, that is increasingly visible of how to deal with territorial and hyperviolent crime. Rio is stuck in a nebulous policy gap in which it is pursuing two types of policies at the same time, and sometimes in the very same slums. One day, the community policing narrative seems to be going well uh, with the pacification process, especially at, at, at its height during the 2010, 2011. And on the next day, uh, the local UPP force is, forced, is forced to radically shift to an urban warfare posture, rifles in hand, in response to a hit-and-run attack by a gang. This robust law enforcement component is becoming more common in Latin America. The response to protracted criminal violence in urban areas is, in the absence of alternatives, taking a militarized approach 
whereas many experts and institutions have criticized the use of the armed forces for internal security missions, police forces themselves are having to adopt a confrontational posture against non-state armed groups. The spread of disputed peripheries uh, has afflicted Latin America um, more because of its, un, uh, of its process, its past process uh, of unmanaged urbanization that took place earlier than in other developing regions. So Latin America now has 80% of its population living in urban areas, whereas all the developing regions such as Africa and Asia are still around or below 50%. So in many ways, Latin America is the face of things to come if urbanization practices and especially the management of rapid uh, migration to urban areas is not better managed than it was in Latin America. Therefore, uh, these uh, unmanaged urbanization processes are resulting almost organically and in an unplanned way uh, in militarization processes through the formation of these disputed peripheries and marginalized areas where crime is uh, gradually takes over. Uh, and in conclusion, finally, for journalism, uh, journalism is stuck in between these different, um, these different forces, the militarized security approaches and the militarized criminal groups. Um, it remains, however, capable of circumventing some of the barriers that hyperviolent crime poses. Above all, journalism is an important vigilant of public policy. This is especially relevant now that several Latin American countries have resorted to the use of the armed forces in internal law enforcement missions. In Rio itself, the height of the pacification strategy was followed by renewed clashes, as I mentioned, between criminal groups and police, and that has been um, accompanied by a trend towards accepting narratives and, on the other hand, towards seeking broader perspectives in the international and national spheres. The temptation to see, I think my main message to you today is that the temptation to see the fight in the slums as a black and white militarized campaign must be tempered by in-depth accounts, and that is the role of journalism, in-depth accounts of the effects of security policies. Uh, even if you don't have access to the, um, the victim in, in deep within a marginalized area that might be seen as, as out, of, uh, out of touch, there are other ways of, of, of analyzing the effects of public policy through um, public ombudsman offices, other state institutions that um, are on the side of, of, of liberation of information, um, whereas many times the police and national security uh, um, institutions tend to concentrate information. So journalism is not alone. And above all, journalism is a critical tool to achieve this balance of public policy uh, between achieving security in these uh, highly problematic urban areas and um, achieving at the same time some level of development and fulfilling um, its obligations of the state, the obligations of the state with uh, democracy and uh, accountability. Uh, after all, Latin America is a democratic region, even though democracies are fragile. So journalism uh, is is definitely a tool, a possible tool to. Um, help help the, the authorities to calibrate, uh, to make this difficult balance um, between security, development, and human rights. Thank you.